I was asked this morning if I've set any New Year's resolutions. And I had to say, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. But I'm wondering if you've ever heard a friend or someone you know tell you about like this big thing that they were able to accomplish. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. I've had that experience multiple times. I have several friends who regularly compete in marathons. And so they'll tell me about their experiences, that it was hard. But then, you know, as they go through the finish line, I mean, and I'm imagining this, like, breaking through the finish line, how exciting it is. Are they falling to the ground at or, the finish line? Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. Clearly, I don't have experience um, in this. But I, as my friends describe completing a marathon, I am always so impressed. I'm always, like, amazed. And I can't help but think a little bit, like, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should actually try and run a marathon. You see, here's the catch, though. Micah knows this about me. I don't like to run. Uh, I really actually don't like to run. And as it turns out, not only do you have to run 26.2 miles to get to the finish line, um, from talking to my friends, I realized that you have to run before the marathon date. Like, for like weeks and months ahead of time, you have to actually run and train. And I was, uh, I was talking to a friend and kind of laughing about that. But here's the thing. Don't we often want that big moment? That big moment of, oh, I've done it. I've completed this. But we don't, myself included, want to take all the training, all the weeks and months ahead of time working hard to get to that point. Today we continue our story um, of Elijah, and the story, the part of the story we're looking at today is Elijah on Mount Carmel, and it's like this big, powerful, miraculous moment that will require Elijah to trust in God in inc- incredible ways, and require Elijah to follow God's directions, even when it's incredibly dangerous for him. But see, here's the thing. Elijah's been training for this, so to speak. He's been following God. He's been walking with God day in and day out. He's been learning to trust God. Yeah, so last week as we began uh, the story of Elijah, um, we uh, found Elijah uh, going to King Ahab, a wicked king. We'll talk about him in just a moment. Um, and announcing that there's going to be a drought in the land. For three and a half years, there's a drought in Israel. And uh, there it threatens the livestock. It threatens everyone's well-being. God sends Elijah away initially to a little brook uh, where he's fed by ravens, it says. And then he uh, goes to a widow's home who doesn't have even enough food to to feed her own family, uh, but miraculously her jar of flour and her oil never run out that she's able to make bread for her child and for Elijah. He hides out there until the end of the drought, and today we begin in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So who is this guy named Ahab? He's the king of Israel, and um, he is not following God. And so when Elijah, prophet of the Lord, goes to him and says, there's going to be a drought, um, Ahab doesn't take it so well. <laughs> and so he spends the, the next three years that, that Elijah's hiding 
He spends the next three years looking for him in order to kill him. He even goes so far as to sending his people to the neighboring countries to, to look for Elijah so that he can kill him. And we see here that God's instruction to Elijah require Elijah to really trust in God. So there's this super powerful guy, in fact, the most powerful guy in the land, the king, trying to kill him. He's been in hiding for three years. God's been protecting him, keeping him safe. And now God says, okay, now it's time. I want you to go and actually present yourself to King Ahab. And Elijah moves towards Ahab at great risk to his own life. So meanwhile in Israel, Ahab is trying to keep the nation afloat. Uh, he has a right-hand man by the name of Obadiah. Now it turns out Obadiah is still a follower of God, uh, one of the few left in the nation trusting in God in this season. And uh, Obadiah has been working behind Ahab's back uh, to save some of the prophets and uh, to hopefully bring about a better end to this story. Uh, at this point, um, Ahab and Obadiah have split directions. They're walking the country. They're traveling through the country trying to find any water to sustain the livestock of the uh, of the animals in the kingdom. As Obadiah was walking along, verse 7, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowing to the ground. He said, is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. And so... Elijah meets Obadiah and says, go tell Ahab, I'm here. And, and Obadiah's response is, do you understand the situation? Do you understand what's going on here? That I am, I'm working under King Ahab and King Ahab is married to, to Queen Jezebel and Jezebel's been killing all the prophets of, of Yahweh and, um, Ahab is trying to kill you. And here I am in this very dangerous situation, in this precarious situation. Do you realize what you're asking of me? Because if I go to the king and tell them that I saw you and then they come looking for you and you go hide again, the king's going to kill me. And um, Elijah responds that this is what the Lord has, has told me to do. And when Obadiah realizes that, we see Obadiah also trusting in God and following the directions and going to the king and telling him, I found um, Elijah. So Obadiah, in verse 16, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? An ironic thing for the king that has brought his nation to total uh, uh, total chaos uh, to say to Elijah, you troubler of Israel. And of course, Elijah will turn the words back on the king. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Elijah clarifies, you have brought destruction on this kingdom by turning away from God and towards other gods, the Baals. Isn't it so much easier to try to cast blame on other people than to recognize what, what we've done ourselves? The story continues in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. This is such an interesting question to, to ask this, this crowd of people that has been assembled. 
um, by, by King um, Ahab here. How long will you waver? How long will you go back and forth? How long will you just kind of be on the fence about who you're actually going to worship and who you're going to be, what kind of people you're going to be? And when I think of this idea of wavering and going back and forth, sometimes it's a very intentional choice. It's a very intentional decision based on the situation or or, or a belief system. Like a person can choose, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. But I also wonder if part of this wavering is, is unintentional or maybe a better way of saying it is a lack of intentionality. This, this wavering is if, if they don't intentionally choose to worship God, then the culture around them, the cultures around them, their desires, whatever it is, King Ahab is going to pull them away from God, pull them away from from worshiping God. And so it makes me want to ask this question of, of ourselves today. Are, are we wavering? And if so, maybe there's some of us here really just wrestling with what do we believe and, and who is God? And I just want to validate that and say, hey, God will, will meet us in those places if we're asking those kinds of questions. But maybe also there's some of us here that it's, it's more of a, it's more about a lack of intentionality that is causing us to kind of waver back and forth a little bit. And Elijah here is going to tell the people, it's time. It's time to choose. Yeah. And so, uh, a nation that has forgotten about God, uh, will now see a demonstration of God's power. They are invited to witness, uh, what God will do over the gods of Baal. So Elijah proposes um, a uh, a contest, a bit of a test. Let's see which God is real. Now, keep in mind, we have Elijah, one man, one prophet of God, uh, and 450 prophets of Baal here on this mountain. And Elijah proposes this. We'll make a couple of altars and we'll sacrifice animals on them, but we won't light the altar. Instead, we will allow the true God to rain down fire, to light the altar, and to burn up the sacrifice. Talk about intimidating. One one person uh, against uh, 450. So the story go, uh, continues, um, and we'll continue reading in verse 26. Then they called, so this is talking about the prophets of Baal. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is, he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. So 
The prophets of Baal go first in the contest. They're to call down fire from their gods to light the altar. And the way they do it is really shocking and kind of grotesque, right? They're cutting themselves. They're in a frenzy and they're hollering and they're, they're being mocked. Maybe your God's asleep, right? Maybe he's, maybe you need to yell a little bit louder and yet nothing they do will bring about a response. And, and they're, that's so shocking because it's like so loud. Can you imagine? The scene, it's so loud, it's so frantic. They're waiting for just a tiny bit of a response, and yet there's nothing. And Elijah's taunts really reflected the beliefs of that time period, that gods really did fall asleep, or gods really were busy, and you had to do all these things to get the attention of the gods, and yet no one responded. And so the story continues. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. So this is the time of the evening sacrifice. It's Elijah's turn. Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a thir- the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord, that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So after all day of the prophets of Baal in this frenzy, trying to wake up their God, Elijah steps up and he, he starts by gathering the people around him because he wanted the people to witness what God was about to do. And then carefully he repairs the altar and even how he repairs it is a reminder to them of who they are. He takes the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and rebuilds this altar. And then in what I, what I imagine as a very dramatic flair, a dramatic moment, he says, bring the water and then start pour, pouring the water over the altar. And they do it one, two, three times until even the trench is filled with water all around it. It's a stark contrast. Uh, I, I love the way the text plays out here as you see the frenzy and the chaos of the prophets of Baal and then a single man who invites the people, help me rebuild Israel's altar, who lays the animal on the altar, and then instead of a frenzy, instead of chaos, instead of crying, he prays to God. And his prayer is this, it's threefold. 
God, let it be known that you are God, right? His first prayer is about God's identity, God being known amongst the people. The second has to do with himself, and let them know that I'm your servant. Let them know that I've been following your commands to this point. And then finally, let them know that you are turning their hearts back again. This is the beautiful um, picture of God that we see over and over in Scripture, a God that is relentless in his pursuit of humanity, regardless how far they've gone. Here God and Elijah are in this moment with the desire that it would be known that God is God and that God is inviting people back to himself. And then God rains down fire, rains down fire, and, and you know, it's hard to light wood that's that's wet. I don't know if you ever had that experience. We do a lot of camping, and I know what it's like to try to light a fire in the rain, yes. <laughs> it's almost impossible. But God rains down this fire that's so hot, that's so powerful. Now, I mean, not only is it this miraculous fire that's that's coming down, but it it lights the wood, it burns up the sacrifice. It says it burns up the stones and the even the soil around it, and it, it is all consumed. And the people just fall down in worship of God. They fall down and they 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 know that God is God. And they have seen his his miraculous power. They're clearly have seen been present to this miraculous event, this powerful event. And in that moment, uh, what Elijah said to them, you need to choose who is God and you need to follow whoever God is. In that moment, they say, the Lord, he is God. As if the story isn't gruesome enough, the prophets of Baal are all seized and put to death. And then Elijah says to Ahab, this king who's watched the whole proceeding, who knows all that's transpired, God has proven to be the true God. He says to Ahab, go eat and drink, right? Uh, go, go from here. Think about your actions is probably what he's saying in this moment. He says, and what's that I hear in the distance? Is that rain? And um, at that moment, there's no rain. He says that, but there's no rain at that moment. Instead, he goes up the mountain and he gets on his knees and he starts praying. And he starts praying to God, who's told him to do all these things. He starts praying, okay, God, you said now there would be rain. Let me see rain. And seven times he sends his, his servant to go to the lookout point to see if there's clouds in the sky, you know, if the rain has come. And not until the seventh time did he see any cloud. And the seventh time he saw this little cloud and he's, and he tells Elijah that. And so Elijah says, okay, go warn King Ahab that he better hurry home because the rain's going to hit him before he gets home. And, and that's what happens. So as we zoom out and look at the text today, uh, start to look at what are the main points, what are the things that stand out in the text? Typically, I find myself drawn towards the characters. What are we learning about humanity, and what are we learning about God in this text? Elijah demonstrates, as we talked about last week, so I won't go into a lot of detail, Elijah demonstrates uh, trust and obedience, right? He demonstrates this posture in which one against 450, his life is on the line, there, a king is hunting to kill him. He demonstrates an incredible amount of trust and obedience, a willingness to do as God commands. But secondly, and more importantly, the character of God shines through in this text. Uh, We see this powerful response, this powerful demonstration, proving that he is God and Baal is not. But ultimately, I don't think his battle is so much against Baal. 
After all, Baal was nothing, right? God's actual battle that he's fighting in this moment is for the hearts of Israel. We see in the character of God uh, a, a love that transcends their rebellion and all that this nation has done, and a God who is fighting for their hearts, that they would turn back to the God that created them, that loved them, that invited them into covenant. And God really responds in powerful ways in order to demonstrate his love and to bring people back to to him. You know, when I read these stories, I think about uh, what it must have been like for Elijah. And often we want these, maybe not these specific, <laughs> specific situation, but we want these mountaintop experiences from God. We, we ask God, will, will you show, reveal yourself in this big, powerful, and miraculous way? And God responds sometimes. To the, in those ways, in big, powerful, miraculous ways. But I think it's really important as we look at this story to, to notice that Elijah, the human character in this story, didn't choose any of the timing of this, of the events or didn't choose exactly what would happen. He didn't have an agenda, but rather he was listening to God and he was following step by step whatever God told him. And so when God told Elijah to hide and sit still for three years, Elijah hid and sat still for three years. Um, when God told Elijah, okay, now it's time for you to go find the man who's been trying to kill you, Elijah goes and he walks up to Ahab, and he presents himself. When he proposes, hey, go up on this mountain with 450 prophets of Baal, then Elijah does that. And when when Elijah follows God's instruction, then God really responds in these powerful, powerful ways. What I am struck most in this story is how Elijah had no control over what was happening. Rather, he was just listening and following God's instructions. And friends, we are invited to do the same. Our situations are different, but God is still the same. God is pursuing us. God wants us to walk with him. God is speaking, and we get to listen, and we get to follow step by step. Yeah, Elijah demonstrates for us an ability to wait on God in one season of the story, and an ability and a willingness to trust in God and to follow God in other aspects in this tale. So I want to ask us those two questions. How are you doing in waiting on God in this season? Some of us are in a season with there's unanswered questions or there's struggles that have not dissipated in our lives. What's your posture like right now as you wait on God in this season of life? How do you find yourself acting out or acting into this season? A season of waiting. Elijah demonstrates an ability to trust and to wait on God. But then similarly, his trust also leads him to take action when God calls him to do so. How are we trusting in God in this moment? How do you find yourself in this moment as you sense God calling you towards something in life? Where's your trust at? Are you ready to step out as God calls? You know, when I think about those questions and I think about this idea, you said the word posture, of, of how are you postured before God, the word um, surrender comes to mind. The idea of yielding 
ourself to God, whether it's in waiting or in action, if whatever God is calling us to do in the situations that we're in. I failed to say in that, that waiting is sometimes the hardest posture. Even in the difficult seasons of life, if we know where we're headed or have a goal to work towards, right, we can persevere in that quite often. Uh, but sometimes it's those seasons of waiting, of stillness, that are the very hardest in life. And I think one of the blessings as we consider this today, um, Elijah's challenge was great in that he was the last one. He was alone in this season of waiting on God. But we are not, right? The, the, the reason we gather together, the reason we pray together, the reason we eat meals around tables together is that we are not alone in either the seasons of action or the seasons of waiting on God. So as we wait on God, as we take action, we yield to God, we surrender to God, and God is faithful, and God is powerful, and he works for good. And um, I want to remind us, whether you're you're in that season of waiting or it's time to take action and you're, you're, you're looking for God to respond in powerful ways right now. I want to remind us that these big encounters with God, these miraculous encounters with God are a part of a larger journey with God of day in, day out, listening and following, listening and following, surrendering to God. And that's what, that's what we've been invited to. Absolutely. As we close out today, we're going to take communion. So Sally and, and Kai and Cohen, if you guys want to join us up here, um, they're going to play a song for us as we, as we close out in communion today. Now, I want to take our minds back to an earlier part in the story where Elijah turns away from Ahab and he turns to the people and he says, choose today who you're going to follow. Now, we take communion each week, and this is one of those ways where we kind of make that decision, where we make that declaration each week. We remember in communion, in, in the bread, his body that was broken, and we remember with the grape juice, his blood that was poured out. And we kind of make this statement that, that they do that day, or, or we take that step each week. It's a rhythm that plays out in our lives. Choose today who you will serve. As I break this bread, as I take this juice, I remember whom I serve. I remember who I choose in life, and that is Jesus.